Father, thank you that we have the Word of God in our hands. You have revealed yourself to us. And Lord, we want to know you. And so I pray that as we look into your Word, that even more you would reveal yourself to us and our, in our relationship with you, that we would walk closely with you. We thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for the joy of coming together as believers and fellowshipping around the Lord Jesus Christ. So we look forward to this time, and Father, we ask it for your help, for your undertaking, uh, as we look into the Word. So we thank you for this, and we ask your blessing in the name of the Lord Jesus. Well, let's read 1 John chapter 5, and I'm going to read the first five verses. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And who is the one who overcomes the world? but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Being an overcomer. You do get this uh, also in the book of the Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, uh, when he writes to the seven churches of Asia. But these verses here direct our attention to this issue of being an overcomer. There's numerous titles, you know, in the, in the New Testament that describe believers. We're called Christians. We're called children of God, believers, sheep, saints, and there's many other descriptive terms for those of us who have been born again through faith in Jesus Christ. And each one of those terms describes an aspect of who we are. But this text says we're overcomers. You could also translate this word as victors or winners. The Greek verb that's translated to overcome is nekapo, which means to conquer, to win, or to gain victory. The noun form of that verb is neke, from which we get the English word Nike. The Greeks love that word. 
they actually had a goddess by the name of Nike. And she was the goddess of victory. And the Greeks believed that victory could not be won except by the gods. Victory could not be won by mere mortals. True, ultimate, permanent, and eternal victory only, only belonged to the gods. So when you understand that background, you can see why it was a revolutionary thing to assign to Christians the victory that these Greeks believed only begot, belonged to the gods. But we like that word in English because for many years, the United States military called their missiles Nike. And then of course we have Nike shoes that are supposed to lead you to victory in whatever athletic contest you're involved in. And the verb form of this word was used by the Lord Jesus in John 16, 33. In this world, you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He's saying, I have won the conflict with the world I have defeated the world, I have conquered the world. And again, the word is used in Romans chapter eight, where Paul speaks about the victorious position of believers in Christ. Romans eight thirty seven, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Paul's saying, we're not just Neke, which in English, uh, he adds then another Greek word to that, huper, which means super. So really, in Christ, we are super conquerors. Through faith in Christ, we've entered the state of being unconquerable. We're invincible. So much so that as you continue in Romans chapter 8, Paul says this, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. There is nothing that can conquer us. We're overcomers. In 1798, Napoleon Bonaparte made plans for an invasion of Egypt in order to cut off Britain's trade routes and threaten its possession of India. And leading the enemy forces was Rear Admiral Horatio Nelson, 
This fierce battle was called the Battle of the Nile. But it was actually Nelson who was leading the, the uh, righteous forces and he uh, outmaneuvered the enemy, won the victory. He returned home and he reported to the British Admiralty his victory and he said this, victory is not a large enough word to describe what took place. And that's really true of our salvation. Victory isn't a large enough word to describe what took place. Our salvation wasn't just a victory, it was a super victory. Now back in 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, it says, Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Three times it's stated that we overcome the world. Similar to what John said back in chapter 2. He said, do not love the world nor the things in the world. The world is passing away. And all its lusts, but the one who does the will of God abides forever. We've overcome the world. And those attractions that it has are no longer the object of our affections. We're in the world, but we're not of the world anymore. It's allurements, and they are there. Don't captivate our hearts. We who are in Christ have overcome the world. That invisible spiritual system of evil. But listen, you know as well as I do, we're not perfect. We still sin. We fail. So how do we know? How do we know that we're overcomers? I don't think any of us would say, as far as sin goes, I'm unconquerable. We understand that if we're put into the category of a conqueror, it's only by God's grace. But we are overcomers because of the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God in Christ that's been credited to our accounts. God in his mercy and grace has made you a conqueror in spite of what you are, not because of what you are. Isn't that great? It's the grace of God. <laughs> now there's three ways that you can examine your life. You see, that's what the book of 1 John is all about, as we've talked about. It's about tests, about examining our lives and seeing where we stand. So there's three ways you can determine if you're an overcomer. Overcomers are characterized by the same three things that John's been talking about right since chapter one. These tests are evidence of salvation. First of all, 
faith. Faith in the truth. Secondly, love. Love for God and love for others. And then number three, obedience. Obedience to the word. You know, sometimes we look at our lives and we see failures. You might say, well, I don't see the love that I should have. I don't see the obedience that I should have. So sometimes you have to go back to number one. You have to go back to that first proof. And you can say, I still believe in Jesus Christ. And if you still believe that Jesus is the Christ, with all that that means, then you know you've been born of God. That's the evidence. Jesus Christ is the object of our faith. So in him, in him, we will overcome the world. Because he has won the victory. And we became a part of that victory at the moment of salvation when we placed our trust in the Lord Jesus. Well, the second of John's three tests that verify, verify an overcomer is love. Go back to verses 1 and 2. He says, Whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God. You can tell an overcomer because they love God. And not only do they love God, but they love the children of God. This has been the emphasis all the way through this letter. How do you know you're a Christian? Because you love God, and you love the ones whom God loves. And if you love God, you long to be in his presence. You long to hear him speak. You love to praise him and worship him. And if you love his people, then you long to be with them. You want to meet their needs as much as you can. You want to pray for them. You want to nurture them. You want to counsel them. You want to speak kindly to them. And you want to exhort them and you want to encourage them. You do whatever you can for their spiritual benefit. Why? Because you love them. Because you love God. And the third characteristic that marks the overcomer is obedience. Look at verses 2 and 3 here in chapter 5. We know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Now let's put the three together. We believe in Christ, and so that produces love. Love for God, and love for the people of God. And that love 
produces obedience. The proof of our faith is loving obedience. And the way you demonstrate your love for God is to obey Him. Because when you obey Him, it honors Him and it glorifies Him. In John 14, 15, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. Later on, 14, 21, He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and disclose myself to him. Think about that. <laughs> if you're walking in obedience, the Lord Jesus Christ will reveal himself to you. You'll get to know God. Now, we come to the second section here, verses 6 to 12, which deals with the testimony of God. Verse 6 picks up on the theme of verse 5, which was speaking of Jesus, the Son of God, and carries it forward right through verse 12, talking about the testimony of God. So I'm going to read it, but listen. Listen for the words testify and testimony. Verse 6. This is he who came by water and blood. Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water, and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For the testimony of God is this, that he has testified concerning his Son. The one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his Son. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. When you read that section, it becomes pretty clear that the subject here is the testimony of God concerning Jesus Christ. And that testimony is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He's God incarnate. To be in God's kingdom, you have to believe that. You have to believe in His Son. So to be an overcomer, as we saw in the first five verses, you have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. It's our faith in him that overcomes the world. Back in 2.22, John asks the question, who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? Having the correct doctrine concerning Christ, believe me, is critical. 
It's essential to salvation. Why do you think it is that all these false groups at least go wrong in one area? The area of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Always. Always. John affirms this in 3.23. He says, this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. Chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Test the spirits to see whether they're from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist. Chapter 5, verse 1, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. The very essence of believing takes you back to that foundation of a right view of Christ. Understanding and believing the truth about Christ and his redemptive work is just vital, just vital. First time we came down here, we stayed at a, uh, <laughs> sort of called a bed and breakfast. Um, and uh, there was a few condos around and there was a pool and there was a fellow there who uh, was a part of one of these cults. And so he was studying and so I had a swim and I got out, made sure I got out near him and began to talk to him. And I began to talk to him about the Lord Jesus. He had an erroneous view of the person and work of Jesus Christ. The book he was studying wasn't the Bible. It was a book that he'd been given that told him what to believe. Told him how to witness to those false doctrines. But as we talked, it was evident. He didn't know Christ. He didn't know anything about the real Jesus Christ. So, in verses 4 and 5, it's our faith that overcomes the world. And what is our faith? Verse 5, believing that Jesus is the Son of God. That's the testimony of God himself concerning his Son. Down to verse 10, the one who believes in the Son of God has this witness in himself. So if you believe that Jesus Christ is who the Father says he is, you've received God's testimony. The one who doesn't believe that Jesus is who God says he is makes God a liar. John, when he was writing his gospel, he said this about the gospel. These are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. That was the purpose of his gospel. It's loaded from beginning to end 
in a revelation of the person and work of Jesus Christ. The gospel starts with these great statements. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were created by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. And then verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Very same glory that belongs to God the Father was seen in Jesus Christ. And in our passage here, John is simply summarizing what he gave in great detail in his gospel. That God has borne witness. God has given testimony through the Lord Jesus, through his miracles, his teaching, his titles, and it culminates in the evidence at the cross and then the resurrection. If you want to know the testimony of God, read God's true witness in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and especially John. John's purpose was to write these things down so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing have life in his name. So the question in our passage is, why should we believe? Why should we believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Why should we believe that he is God? Why should we believe that he is eternally perfect and uncreated? When he was on the earth, whew, the majority of the people called him a liar, a deceiver, a drunkard. They said he was a fake, an insurrectionist, a lawbreaker, a demoniac, and certainly a fanatic. Why should we believe that he's the Messiah of the Old Testament? Why should we believe that he's the Savior of sinners? The answer is because of this infallible, unassailable testimony of God. That's why. The Father has given testimony to the fact that Jesus Christ is the one who came. And that testimony is confirmed by water and the blood. That's verse 6. Now, there's been a lot of different interpretations of that verse. But really, there's only one possible way that you can interpret that. Water here refers to the baptism of Jesus. And blood 
refers to his death. Because at those two great events, the Father gave testimony. You remember the voice from heaven at his baptism? This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. There you have the direct testimony of God. And the second time was Jesus' death on the cross. As he shed his blood on the cross, both of those events defined his ministry because he identified with sinners in going into the waters of baptism and he fully identified with sinners at the cross by taking our punishment upon himself. Those two monumental experiences bracket the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And then there's a third testimony, the Holy Spirit. In the revelation of all the truth that's been given, verse 8 says, For there are three that bear witness, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and the three are in agreement. Together, they establish this fact by their testimony. So God the Father has given this testimony and the key to eternal salvation is faith in Christ. And that's spelled out clearly in the verse that is key to this epistle. 5.13, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So belonging to God begins with faith in Jesus Christ. Some people ask, what is it that brings us to this faith? The answer is the testimony of God. <laughs> I was the furthest thing from a Christian. I bought a New Testament. And in that New Testament was the testimony of God. And as I read that testimony, I was struck in my heart by the person and work of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament is about the anticipation of Christ. And the New Testament is about his arrival and fulfilling all those Old Testament promises. Listen to this, John 5, 37. The Father who sent me, he testified of me. Did you get that? That's a past tense. He previously testified of me. Where? In the Old Testament. John 8, 18. The Father who sent me testifies about me. <laughs> That's present tense. Old Testament, New Testament, filled with the person of Jesus Christ. You can't read the Old Testament without seeing Christ. And you know 
the New Testament is all about him. All the books of the Bible combine to give us the revelation of Jesus Christ. Well, the witness of God, it's convincing, it's infallible, and it's unassailable. That's what John's talking about here in verses 6 through 12. The Father's witness began as John views it with the water. And the witness of the Father that occurred at the death of Christ on the cross. You know, there's a number of things that happened when he died on the cross. Not just everyday things, miraculous things. Very quickly, in Matthew 27, you pick up the scene at the cross. Jesus is hanging on the cross and the robbers have been crucified with him. They're insulting him in verse 45. And it says now, from the sixth hour, that's 12 noon, darkness fell upon all the land until the ninth hour. Supernatural <clears throat> darkness. That's a miracle. It's a divine miracle. It's God intervening and while it was still dark Jesus cries out in verse 46 he cried out with a loud voice saying Eli Eli lama sabachthani that is my God my God why hast thou forsaken me he understood the symbolism of that darkness an indication of the forsaking of God God was giving testimony of the sin-bearing work of his son on the cross. By turning out the lights and creating darkness at 12 noon. Then you go down to verse 51. Behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Men couldn't have done that. It was too high, and it was too heavy. Couldn't do it. But when that veil was torn, entrance into the Holy of Holies, entrance into the very presence of God. The sacrifice of Christ has provided access very presence of God. It's a divine miracle. And then verses 52 and 53, and the earth shook and the rocks were split and the tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. I can't imagine. I cannot imagine. Here's Uncle Joe. He's back. What? He's back. Yeah. He's back all right. New life in Christ. 
Verse 54 says, Now the centurion and those who were with him keeping guard over Jesus when they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening became frightened and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. Not only the centurion said it, but those who were with him said it. No other conclusion. This was the Son of God. Well, that's God's testimony. And back in 1 John, we get that third source of God's testimony given by the Holy Spirit. It says in verse 7, It is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is the truth. Anything that the Holy Spirit says is true. If you want a really good study, there's one. The testimony of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus. He was testifying of Jesus Christ all through his life. In Acts 10, 38, it says, You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power. Jesus himself said to people, when you say that what I do is by the devil, you blaspheme the Holy Spirit. He said that because it was the Holy Spirit doing all of these things through him, empowered by the Spirit in his teaching, in his miracles, all the expressions of power. It was the power of the Spirit working through him to do all he did, say all he said. All of the miracles that Jesus did were done in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why in Matthew 12, Jesus says, if you deny my miracles, you blaspheme the Holy Spirit. So you see, the witness of the water, the blood, and the Holy Spirit all come together perfectly to demonstrate that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And even though we weren't there, the testimony remains. It exists because the Holy Spirit inspired the writing down of that record. It was a record of the Father's testimony. Anybody who wants to know who Jesus Christ is just has to open the book. Open the Bible and take a look and he's there. Now we go to verse 11 which gives us the purpose of God's testimony. It says the witness is this that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. If you believe the testimony that has drawn you to him and you've placed your faith in Christ, you have eternal life. That's the purpose of the testimony. Go down to verse 20. It says, we know the Son of God has come. How do we know that? We know that through this testimony of God, recorded in the pages 
of Scripture. Verse 11 says, this life is in his Son. There's the exclusivity of the gospel. Does the natural man like that? He sure doesn't. He sure doesn't. He'll tell you there's many ways to God. There's many ways to heaven. No, there's not. It says here, this life is in his Son. No other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So God's testimony is, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He's the only source. Now what about a response to God's testimony? Back up to verses 10 and 12. Verse 10, the one who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the witness that God has borne concerning his Son. You took in the testimony of God. You placed your faith in the Lord Jesus. He's got you. And he'll never let you go. You know, the reason that people reject Christ is because they don't believe the testimony of God. A young fellow was a friend of mine. Came one night and he was crying. He said, Dave, I'm lost. I'm lost. I've committed such and such sins and God has let me go. What do you say? What I said was, what are you doing here? Why did you come to see me? You're lost. And we began to talk. And he realized <laughs> there is no sin that can separate you from the love of God. Yeah, he'd lost his assurance, but he was a believer. He was. And as we looked into the Word, the assurance came back. That's where you get it. And that's what we've talked about. So the testimony of God is clear. Gave that testimony throughout the Old Testament and in the New Testament. At Jesus' baptism, at the cross, and through the Holy Spirit. The end result is you embrace the truth and you believe in Christ. You're saved, you're given eternal life. If you have the Son, it says, you have the life. If you don't have the Son, you don't have eternal life. How do we know that's true? Because it says in the book, God does not lie. That's his testimony. Let's pray. Father, what a joy to know that we have eternal life. These things are written that you may know. 
that you have eternal life. Thank you for that. Thank you for your grace and your mercy shown to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. What a wonderful thing to belong to him. What a glorious thing to realize where we're going to be for eternity and that we're going to know him as he knows us. These are wonderful things, Father, and we thank you for them. We thank you that they are written down and that we can access them freely. And we pray for ourselves that we might have that desire to get to know you because we're going to be together for eternity. We thank you for this now. I thank you for our time, Lord, and for these people. Bless them, each one. Work in us and work through us as a body, we ask, in the name of the Lord Jesus.